Before we get into God's word this morning, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the wonderful news of Easter. We thank you that you rose from the dead, not just undoing your death that happened on Good Friday, but triumphing over death, alive again to die no more, to bring the victory over the grave. We pray that this Easter you might just encourage each and every one of us in our hearts that the victory is won and that hope is found in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On Good Friday I read from Luke's Gospel, so I thought we'll keep going through Luke's account of that first Easter and see how Luke recorded the resurrection, the way that Jesus came back again. From Luke chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they'd prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, Suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they didn't believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. 
he said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at, table with, uh, at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And that's, there's a little bit more to, to Luke's gospel but that's where the Easter Sunday ends. That's where his account of the day of Jesus' resurrection ends. When Jesus rose from the dead, when he stepped out of the grave, the Bible tells us death was defeated. Someone had come out the other side. They hadn't just come back to life like you know, somebody who's resuscitated with the paddles at the hospital but will die again at some point. He'd gone through death. He'd been raised again. He'd gone to the other side of death where he would die no more. When Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered Satan, bringing certainty to the total defeat that Satan would one day face because now there was a way for sins to be forgiven. Now there was a way for people, despite their sins, to live forever with God. When Jesus rose from the dead, he'd made a way. There's now a way for all who believe in him, from death to a life that never ends. When Jesus rose from the dead, it was now that those who believe in Jesus can live forever with our Father. 
And as I somewhat spoiled by putting up on the screen already, what if it's all too good to be true? Sometimes it's useful to ask that question in life. Is this thing too good to be true? Is this phone call saying that I won the lottery even though I never entered it too good to be true? Is this email from this Nigerian prince who wants to leave $100,000 in my bank account too good to be true? We need to ask that question sometimes in our life. But I don't know about you, have you ever had that what if niggling at you? What if the Bible, what if life after death, eternal life with God, what if it's all too good to be true? What if we're just afraid of death and trying to find some way out of it? I've wrestled with what if sometimes during the nights. I don't know if some of you guys have as well. Is it all too good to be true? Well, one thing I noted as I read through Luke's gospel is that if we've ever wondered that, we're in very, very good company. Early on a Sunday morning, several women made their way to the tomb of Jesus and they didn't find him. Instead, they found angels testifying to his resurrection. He is not among the dead. He is living. He has risen. This is what he said he would do. And we're told that confused and trembling, they raced home to tell the disciples what had, what had happened. And how did the disciples receive the news? Verse 11, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Not very charitable towards the women. But it can't be true. That's what they thought. It's wishful thinking. It's too good to be true that Jesus would be alive again. They didn't believe it. They were as sceptical as anyone else would have been. But we know that Peter, and also John in his gospel tells us that it was, it was him as well, Peter and John, they also didn't believe the women just from the words that they said, oh, okay, Jesus is back, we believe you. But what did they do? They went to check it out for themselves. If there's even a chance that it's true. We need to know. We need to find out what has happened. So they set out to find the answers, to see the tomb for themselves. They went to see with their own eyes. And although we can't go to the tomb, we can't see the risen Jesus, we can do the same things when we have questions, when we have doubts and, and things like I discussed before, the what if questions. Do we look for answers? Do we think, well, even if there's just a chance that it's true, I need to find out for myself. Do we take our questions and our fears and our doubts to God and let him testify to the truth to us? That was the first account we heard. The women 
who found the empty tomb and raced back to the disciples. Then the next story we hear is of Jesus uh, appearing, or walking alongside these men on the road to a small town called Emmaus. They didn't recognize him. As far as they know, he's a stranger that's joined them and one who's particularly ill-informed about the things that have been going on. He doesn't seem to have any idea what's just happened. And so they tell him all of the things that have been going on in Jerusalem. Jesus asked them, what are you talking about? Why are you so gloomy? And among all the other things they talked about, verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. Past tense. Even though they knew that the women had seen the empty tomb that morning, we had hoped. The women amazed us with this story they told, but the implication seems to be we didn't believe them. And you might have noticed there's been a slight change from the first part of the chapter to this one. Now, the women didn't see angels, but they had a vision of angels. And there was that step removed. There was this scepticism. There was doubt. Because people don't come back from crucifixion. That doesn't happen. And it's no use getting your hopes up about things that are too good to be true. And the stranger, he berates them for their scepticism. Now, being Jesus, I have no doubt that it would have been in love when he made those comments about how slow they are to understand. And so he tells them, your expectations were all wrong. That's why you can't accept this good news that's come to you now is because your expectations of what the Messiah was supposed to be were all wrong. And so he takes them back to Moses, to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He takes them through the books of the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all of the little ones. And he takes them through and says, this is what was supposed to happen. This is what the Messiah was supposed to do. He was supposed to die and he was supposed to rise again. And doubtless he would have taken them to the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And he would have taken them to uh, one of their, their favorite psalms, some of the favorite psalms that they like to quote throughout the book of Acts that, you know, you did not let your Holy One see decay. And it would have been fascinating. I almost wish they'd, they'd included a whole sort of appendix of here is the speech Jesus gave to those disciples on that road. Here is how the Old Testament points to Jesus. And as he goes and he eats with them that night, as he broke bread with them, their eyes were opened. It reads very much as though by some means, God was keeping them from recognizing who he was until that act of breaking the bread. And they realized, that was Jesus the whole time. Weren't our hearts like burning within us while we were talking to him? Weren't we excited by all the stuff he was talking about? That's why, because he was Jesus. He is back. Maybe we owe those women an apology. Uh, it doesn't have that in the script, but <laughs> they probably did. And it raises the question when we 
when we wrestle with these things? Are our expectations the problem? Do we expect too much of God, that if God is in control, then our lives should have no problems and everything should be hunky-dory? Do we expect too little of God and think that the brokenness and entropy, that everything dies in our world, that's just all there is and there's nothing better than that? Do we forget how good our God is? That even in this world that is full of brokenness because of sin, we see all sorts of pointers to the goodness of God. Even in just little things, like God didn't have to make an amazing array of food and fruits and vegetables and meats and spices to keep us fed. We could have just lived on gruel all of our days and that would have kept our bodies going. But our good God gave us good things. We could have had a world where everything was the same, where you sort of have nice flat land that you're able to farm with rivers going between it, but none of these, you know, nice, none of these fancy rainforests and things. I mean, you don't need those. You can live without those. No nice waterfalls, no lovely beach scenes. The goodness of God is still out there when you look at the world and you see the way he has made things. Don't we trust that that God has good things for us? Even though, yes, our world is broken, and even though there are things wrong with it, sometimes we can get, so, get our eyes fixed so much on those things that we don't see all the good that points us to the good God that we can trust in. But we need to let him set our expectations by his promises, by his warnings as well, and by the goodness that he's shown to us, that this is what we can expect in our lives, that Jesus will be with us, that we will be tested and face hard times, that we will live with him forever. And so as we come to our last episode in this account of that, that first Easter Sunday, we see the men racing from Emmaus back to Jerusalem. They got up and returned at once. Now, it was still 12 k's away, so the at once probably still took at least an hour or so, probably a bit more than that unless they were pretty fit. But they went back as quickly as they could to tell the disciples... We've seen Jesus, he's alive. I mean, imagine having that good news to tell people, to be able to say, we've seen Jesus, he's alive, and they turn around and say, we know, Peter saw him. But, but we just ran 12 Ks. <laughs> but um, in any sense, there, there was this great celebration, this great rejoicing. It's true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way to Emmaus and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. They knew Jesus had come back. They all believed it at this point. Peter had told them, and now these disciples had come from Emmaus and told them. And yet when he appeared in the middle of them, they still all fell over in shock. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. 
And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. There was still that hint of doubt, even as they were believing the story. There was still that hint of, but is this too good to be true? Even as they were presented with Jesus face to face. And I think most of us would have been the same. Because it's one thing to hear that your friend and your teacher has come back from the dead. But then to have him suddenly appear in the midst of you in a locked room is probably a step further. I think most of us would have been pretty shocked and surprised as well. They knew Jesus was alive again, but to see it for themselves was something else. Suddenly it was more real. Suddenly they were moved from the the hope and joy that maybe Jesus was actually back to the trust. Here he is. I can touch him. I can see the wounds in his hands and his feet. And he's there and he's eating fish, so he's not a ghost, because otherwise it would just all fall through him. They could trust that he was back. He graciously showed them. He didn't have to, you know, put himself through that. Look, at it, look, look it's me, it's me, I've got the scars to prove it. But he graciously did that. Because he knew sometimes good news takes a while to sink in. Sometimes it takes us a while to be able to get our heads around something as momentous as everlasting life. For all who believe. But once they were reassured, he reminds them, this is what I taught you. This is what it was all about all along. That whoever believes in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He helped them to see how all the scriptures pointed to him, to his death and resurrection. And he sent them to us, those who had seen him rise from the dead. He sent them as his witnesses to tell us it might be good, but it's also true. It's not too good to be true, because things can both be good and true. Because Jesus is good, and he is the truth who sets us free. And I trust that it's not too good to be true, because I trust him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you rose again and that in you there is life that never ends. That in you alone we have a hope that we can be restored to what you made us to be. That this world can be restored to what you made it to be before the brokenness came into it through sin. Before all of the hatred and disease, and death. You'll take it back to what it was supposed to be, a place where your people lived with you, their God, and enjoyed that relationship with you forever and ever. Lord, sometimes we do wrestle with things more than we should. Sometimes we do have doubts, as your disciples had on that day, where they doubted it was true until they could see it with their own eyes. 
We thank you that it was true. We thank you that you bear with us patiently when we wrestle. We pray that you'll help each and every one of us to know you in our hearts and to know that he is risen from the dead because he is here with me each day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.